Alright y'all, what is going on? This is your man L. Jamal coming through with another edition of Never Out of Bounce. This is the place where you can say what you want as long as you got them facts. I got quite a bit to talk about today, uh, but we're going to get it right into it with the word on the street. And uh, today I got some more information about that, well that supposed Iranian attack last week in the straight or moves out there in the Middle East. But let's get right into it. The U.S. is reinforcing uh, Iran's involvement with the oil tanker attack with color images, color images, excuse me, showing a Iranian patrol boat basically removing something from the side of the ships. Uh, it, it it's claimed to be a lamp pit mine, although uh, the Jap again, like I said last week, the owner of the ship, a Japanese man, is saying uh, that it was just a, f a flying foreign object. But again, uh, no flying foreign object is going to create any type of holes or any type of damages in the boat. We're going to get into a little bit of that in just a second. Uh, but neither ship was sunk. Uh, it was to avoid uh, basically uh, the w the area in which the uh, ship was struck it was right above the waterline so it was not going to sink and also uh, whoever you know planned this out uh, did not want there to be any type of, of oil spill so that was avoided as well uh, one of the mines uh, one of the mines according to the US uh, central I want to say central intelligence but that's not the word here uh, but according to their investigative unit uh, that one of the mines did not work the successful one left a hole which is which is on the ship uh there is pictures of that hole there i don't know again they're saying it was done by a mine uh the japanese the guy that owned the ship is claiming that it was a foreign object a flying foreign object but anyways the hole left by this object was uh 1.5 meters high and also 1.1 meters wide so it was a significant hole uh but again it was on uh it was above the waterline of the ship so there was no sinking it was and uh it was a pretty significant hole mind you if you were to see those images you'll see where something uh hit it i'm not gonna say it was a regular flying projectile because again uh when is that gonna create that type of damage upside the boat like that um some a, a lot of questions to be asked here uh but here's a here's a very interesting quote uh, i got this from david wearing he's a professor at the new bedford at bedford new college in uh in england uh he went on to say uh, to narrow debate to the question of whether or not iran is guilty of these attacks is uh, uh to pre pre present their own aggression as defensive um Basically, this quote, let me re re repeat that one more time. Uh, this is a kind of complicated quote, and he, I, I guess he spin this with, spins this with a little bit of a some of that British stuff on it because he is from Britain. But let me go through the quote one more time uh, to narrow debate to the question of whether or not Iran is guilty of these attacks is to, pre is to present their own aggression as defense. Of course, he's talking about the U.S. And what he's saying here, I'm gathering uh, from the piece that I'm seeing here is uh, it may not have been an attack. It may have been just circumstances. Uh, however, the U.S. is looking to it could have been an attack, uh, but the U.S. is looking for any excuse uh, to go to war or to have some type of friction is basically what I'm seeing here. Uh, it could not have, it very well could not have been an attack, uh, but the U.S. is is forcing some type of aggression through means of, of course, like I said, protecting itself. Like I said, uh, it wants to present, like I said, in the, the last few words of this, of this statement, I hope you guys got this part, uh, present their own aggression as defensive. So basically what they're trying to do is, uh, according to this quote here is, of course, they're claiming that they've been attacked. Of course, they're claiming that there is this threat against them. Uh, but they're but the the U.S. solution is is an all out offensive. That's pretty much what this quote is that this quote is saying here. Uh, the U.S. is going to spend time trying to um, create this issue, create all these issues that are going on right now. But it may, in order just to be, it may you know these stories may exist just to further an issue. That's what I feel like I'm getting from that quote. Of course, it was all it was kind of mangled. I couldn't really understand it because of, of course, his his vernacular, where he's coming from, uh, the way they word things out there 
in England is different. But uh, the U.S. have decided, has decided to send a thousand more soldiers to the Middle East. So this is in response to those attacks. Uh, it looks like something uh, serious may happen within the, uh, the coming weeks or so. Uh, I have another quote here, and this is a, from the U.S. Secretary of Defense, Patrick Shanahan. The recent Iranian attacks validate the reliable, credible intelligence we have received on hostile behavior by Iranian forces and their proxy groups that threaten U.S. personnel and in uh Oh, I'm sorry, and interests across the region. So again, uh, kind of you know falls back on what the British guys said. Uh, of course, the U.S. are going to claim you know these attacks are happening, and they're to the you know highest extreme and highest of importance in order to push again the the 1,000 soldiers in the Middle East, which they may or may not they may or may not have really needed. But again, we have a thousand more troops out there. Uh, Trump, the Trump administration is claiming Iran is also being supported by military groups in Syria and Yemen. This is not new. Uh, of course, uh, they have uh, notorious groups out there. Hamas, I don't know if they're still around, but of course, you know, somewhat, uh, somewhat in the of course, I don't. I, I'm not gonna say you know they are similar to Al Qaeda or the Taliban or the, some of the groups of that we all that we grew up listening to or hearing about. But again, they're kind of in the same vein, uh, terrorist organizations. This is what the U.S. government is claiming. However, again, I I haven't come across too much any evidence that's saying this. This is all uh, anything related to you know terrorists in Iran and who they're involved with. I'm gonna. I'm not. This, this is. This is. I'm not lying to you guys. As far as I know, I'm not gonna claim it's a lie. But I haven't seen too many articles or too many things pointed to that direction. That hasn't. Uh, that isn't uh, from a U.S. report. That has. That a U.S. person or writer is not claiming. Uh, you do not hear too much outside of uh, capturing certain prisoners or taking certain hostages. Outside of that, I have not heard any connections to the Iran Iranian government or any articles or any stories uh, connecting the Iranian government uh, to any terrorist group. However, they are taking certain hostages, so on and so forth. There is a list of those people. I will say that uh, Iran has continued to increase its uranium production because, of course, at this point in time, it's in big business with Europe and most notably Russia and China. And these are big. These are also people who are relying. I would even say uh, it, you know, helping uh, well using Iran and their resources to up their nuclear production. I'm pretty sure that the Russians, I'm pretty sure that the Chinese are doing the same thing. So again, uh, the the Russians have already, you know, warned the United States not to really get involved with uh, Iran. They've already, you know, and this is just this is just a, a trickle down effect. Uh, you know, it might it, it might be on the surface in this situation, you know, U.S. versus Iran, but of course you have to remember those there's, there's other outside entities involved. Of course, like I just said, China, Russia has already threatened the U.S. and I and I'm gonna wrap everything up with this story with a very interesting quote, and I'm gonna explain what I really feel this quote means. And this is coming from the the Chinese State Counselor Wang Yi. And I think this is very important. Again, this is this is a quote, direct quote coming from the Chinese State Counselor Wang. He goes on to say, in particular, the U.S. side should alter its extreme pressure methods, including all the um, sanctions and sending all the soldiers. And, you know, they just sent the USS Lincoln. We talked about that last week. Those are examples. He goes on to say any unilateral, meaning just one party, one group, unilateral behavior has no basis in international law. Let me rephrase, let me repeat this. In particular, the U.S. side should alter its extreme pressure methods. Any unilateral, excuse me, any unilateral behavior has no basis in international law. 
not only will it not solve the problem, it will only create an even bigger crisis. What he's saying is you cannot, as the USA no more, you cannot dictate. This is what I'm seeing here. And I, and I respect this. I respect this from him and I respect this from his government saying this. He is saying you can no longer force people hands anymore to do to get them to do your bidding. And that goes for the U.S. That goes for anybody else who wants to play big bank, take little bank. That is not going down anymore. I've been saying this, and this is this is a this is again this is where the world is headed. There is no Eurocentric or or U.S. centric uh, dominance anymore. It's not about that. People are coming. These these rulers are are understanding uh, who they are what their countries are it there's na there's there's nationalist movements going on in all these different countries these countries are are taking care of themselves they're maintaining themselves they're no longer um they're no longer protectorates they're no longer uh territories of these different nations they're their own nations now so the u.s and eventually russia when it gets to this point because it, it, it plays that little game too it's they're gonna have to realize they don't run shit anymore China has assumed its place, at least as the third, third superpower next to you know us in Russia. Uh, the U.S. Donald Trump can no longer and should no longer be be dictating to these people what to do. These are grown ass men, and they're finally realizing it. These 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 uh, these countries, these nations have developed their economies. They developed their nuclear arsenals. They developed their armies. Uh, they developed all those things. They developed infrastructures. They developed uh, politics. Uh, you know, political systems within their countries. They are no longer. This is not 1910. This is not 1920. This is not pre-colonial era. This is not the colonial era no more. Nobody is going to be dictated by any other you know foreign ruler what to do with their people in their country trump has to realize that european rulers have to realize that i think it's more so the u.s that's still along that that path of course i feel like ch that china and uh russia they they pull the same little games that we do but they just a little bit slicker about it but i do honestly see where he's coming from uh back up off of people you can no longer force people's hands they have the right to uh as long as they're they're not a threat to the international community again and i have not seen this i have not uh i have not come across um now mind you there's there's you can you can go back and you can find your history and it'll tell you certain things uh, about the Iranian government in the past. You hear people about you hear about people like Ayatollah Khomeini. Uh, again, you've also you you hear and you hear certain pundits that come from Iran that'll say certain things uh, related to the U.S. But again, outside of the hostage taking, as of recent and in terms of the recent you know uh, news. I have not come across anything uh, that confirms that the that the Iranian government is still uh, in business or still being supported by uh, terrorist groups. There may be that influence there, but as far as I know, there hasn't been any articles to to substantiate that. Again, there isn't anything that can, that really has proven that the Iranians attacked that ship last week. Just being honest with you, the guy, the, the Japanese guy who owns the boat itself, is even saying it was a it was a flying. Uh, projectile again the story itself is a little bit shaky but if we're if if you have a group that's pushing a physical altercation or some type of conflict i i i can see why that would happen all right y'all uh i'm not gonna co go too much deeper into this i do have i do have a a lot more to talk about so we're gonna take a quick break here and when i come back we're gonna be talking some nba news of course uh we got some uh free agency stuff to talk about uh we're gonna be breaking down the nba draft which is on thursday uh we're gonna be breaking breaking down some of the top picks uh we're gonna be Breaking, yeah, breaking down some of the top picks, top five picks, and then we're going to uh, break down some other prospects as well. And then uh, we have some baseball news to go over as well. Uh, of course, we going, we'll be going over the, the scores as well as the standings tonight as well. And then finally, we have an artist profile. I've been working on it for a while now, but I have it ready tonight. I'll be going, I'll be talking about some Sade, y'all. So I'm going to take a quick break and I'll be right back. 
All right, y'all. I am back. Uh, like I said, I'm gonna be gonna be going over some basketball news real quick. Uh, starting with some free agency stuff here, and one of the one of the uh, one of the bigger names out there, one of the more recent names out there is Al Horford, uh, power forward of the Boston Celtics. He recently declined his thirty million dollar option, uh, making him officially a free agent this week. Uh, he last year he averaged thirteen point six points and six point seven rebounds. Uh, he's played for about twelve seasons. He's been been in the playoffs for 11 of them and uh, he's pretty much one of the guys that uh, the Boston front office is uh, that's one of their favorite players uh, definitely known for his leadership um, they're one of the main teams that I think are interested in interested in him will be the Hawks uh, you got a couple other Eastern Conference teams there too uh, but the market hasn't necessarily opened up on him just yet uh, but he is out there also Harrison Barnes a small forward uh, he recently played for Sacramento wow during the season uh, he also played for Dallas too last season uh, but he also decided to opt out of his 25.1 million extension from Sacramento and he too will become a free agent this was confirmed by Adrian Wojnarowski at ESPN and also James Hamm at also at NBC Bay Area excuse me uh, he was he is pushing for a long-term deal but he hasn't necessarily ruled out the Kings that just sounds nice in reality if he wanted to really stay with the Kings he would have just took the the contract took the extension excuse me to begin with uh don't get me wrong i'm not going to say he's a bad player uh but i don't i'm not too sure how much more than 25 mil he's going to be he's going to be commanding that's just being real uh last year he had 17.7 points uh 4.2 rebounds and 1.3 assists uh that's what he averaged with the kings with sacramento he averaged 14.3 points five and a half rebounds and also basically almost two assists with the kings however they finished nine games out of last place with a record of 39 and 43 uh last season i think that has somewhat to, somewhat uh of a situation to do with it. and then you got all the drama of course they got a new coach with Luke walton he has some drama with him uh he's not necessarily you know even outside of his drama he's not necessarily you know considered a great coach as is either so you know, I, I can see Harrison Barnes being from being with a team like uh, Golden State. He's looking at all the situations he's been in, and he's like, nah, I'm not from Sacramento. Uh, I, I can understand that. It's unfortunate because he is a solid player. I think he could, he could definitely help out Sacramento, but it does not look like he wants to stay. Uh, moving on, uh, we do have the NBA draft coming up. Matter of fact, it will be Thursday, y'all, June 20th. Be there or be square, of course. Y'all probably, a lot of y'all can't be there, but, you know, take a look at it if you can. Uh, but it will be on at 4 p.m. Pacific time, 7 p.m. Eastern. Some of the top prospects we got, of course, we got Zion Williamson. He's looking to be the first pick of the, of the draft, going to the Pelicans uh, last out of Duke. Uh, last year, he averaged 22.6 points a game, also 8.9 rebounds, and also two assists. Uh, he was a conference player of the year out of the ACC, also a consensus All-American. He also won the Wooden Award for Best Basketball Player uh, basketball player in the nation last season. Uh, he will be working with the young guns out there in New Orleans if he goes there. Uh, of course, they recently had that trade. They got Lonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram, and also Josh Hart. Uh, he's your prototypical really big big man. Um, not necessarily really really big man. I didn't mean to say it like that. Uh, but he definitely can score under the rim. Uh, he definitely can finish under the rim, finish at the rim. He can slam. Uh, I think his biggest thing right now will be to would be to develop a jump shot. But pretty really uh, plays really well on defense. Averages a good amount of blocks as well. Can rebound too. So he's one of the best players out there right now. Uh, we're gonna be moving on to the second pick. Uh, the you know. They're guessing at, of course, this is the prediction right here. Uh, number two, we have Ja Morant, point guard out of uh, Murray State. Uh, we got him going to the Memphis Grizz Grizzlies, excuse me. Uh, last year, he averaged 24 and a half points, also five, uh, 5.7 rebounds and also 10 assists. Uh, last year, he was a conference player of the year out of the Ohio Valley Conference. He's also a consensus All-American as well. Uh, he could basically be Mike, Con uh, Mike Conley's replacement. They recently traded for him. We will be breaking that down in just a second.
Uh, and he's going to be pairing with, uh, pairing with Jaron Jackson Jr., uh, a second-year player. They drafted him last year. He will be their big man, averaging about 15 points on 60% shooting. Uh, they're going to be looking to, to join those two two young guys together to create a new core there down in Memphis, and it looks pretty good. Uh, moving on to the third-place spot, we have uh, R.J. Barrett. Excuse me. He's a guard slash forward coming out of Duke, of course, uh, Zion's teammate. Uh, they got him going to the Knicks. Uh, last year, he averaged 22.6 points. He also had 7.6 rebounds as well as four assists. Uh, another consensus All-American. He's also an all-conference freshman coming out of the ACC and also ACC uh, all-conference as well. Uh, now, he does need a partner in crime uh, because he's not a complete pay- player, but he definitely can score and uh, hopefully they'll be able to get somebody around him in New York that can help him out. Uh, moving on to the fourth place spot, we got Jared Culver, another guard slash forward combination out of Texas Tech. He will be also going to the Pelicans. Uh, granted, they draft him with the fourth four pick uh last year he had 18.5 points he also averaged six a little over six rebounds and also over three uh assists uh he was a conference player of the year for the big 12 he's also the ncaa one of the best players in last year's tournament uh, uh according to the ncaa he was given uh he was given the all-turning team membership, and he was a member of the all-conference team out there in the Big 12. Uh, he is He's a projected starter for the Pelicans, by the way, and he plays some of the best defense out of anybody in the draft. That's uh, that's stats, and that's opinion right there, too. Uh, moving on to the, the fifth-place spot here, we have DeAndre Hunter, a forward out of Virginia. Last year, he averaged 15.2 points, uh, five rebounds, two assists. Uh, they got him going to the Cavaliers here at the fifth spot. Uh, last Last year, he was an all-conference defensive uh, member. Like I said, great uh, defense out of the ACC. He's also the ACC uh Sixth man of the year, and he's also the ACC's conference. The eight, I'm sorry, the ACC conference defensive player of the year. So great defense all around. Uh, good at getting steals, uh, block shots, and rebounds. But he is not the greatest scorer. So there you go. Some other notable prospects we got. We got at the tenth spot, Nicholas Claxton. He's a center out of Georgia. He averaged 13 points last year, 8.6 rebounds. He also was an All SEC player. He also got almost two assists last year, a steal, and almost two. Blocks locks too. Uh, he is still de- developing a jumper. Uh, he is efficient on both sides of the ball like I just mentioned and he is still growing into his frame so he has some time. He has some time to definitely get better. Uh, and finally uh, we have uh, Ty Jerome at the 28th spot. He will be going to the Golden State Warriors. Of course that is the prediction. He's a guard out of Virginia. Of course 13.6 points is what his average was last year. He also got 4 rebounds and also 6 assists. He is also an NCAA all-tourney team member which means he won't He's one of the better performers out uh, in last year's uh, championship tournament. He is also a two-time all-conference team member coming out of the ACC. Uh, one thing we can say about him, he's a, def- a definite role player who can play uh, as early as game one this season. Versatile, who can shoot as well as the fans. So, uh, good looking by the, uh, by the Golden State Warriors if they are able to pick him up. I definitely was able to watch him last year. Good passer, a uh, good shooter, and he can defend pretty damn good too. Uh, some other notes coming from the first round: Boston and Atlanta have three first round picks. For Boston, they got the 14th, the 20th, and the 22nd pick. For Atlanta, they have the 8th, the 10th, and the 17th. Uh, Cleveland and New Orleans also have two. So look for them to to definitely these three, these four teams right here: Boston, uh, most more more notably Boston, Atlanta, since they have the most picks coming into the first round. Uh, look for them to get somebody they gotta get somebody right and um the toronto and the lakers they don't even have no first round picks so unfortunately you got that as well uh one more story here that i wanted to talk about uh houston uh this is a developing story out of houston we're gonna make this real quick so we can round uh we can round out this nba stuff here for tonight uh there are conflicting reports out of houston regarding a rift between james harden and chris paul and possibly a trade demand from paul as well a heated discussion did occur uh, between the two after the game six loss against the warriors in the western conference semis now free agency will be hard uh for the uh, for the rockets because of cp 3s contract over the next 
next three years, he's going to be getting paid three, uh, thirty-eight and a half million, forty-one point three, and then also in his final year, forty-one, forty-four point two million. So it's going to be difficult uh, for them to sign anybody. Uh, really difficult for them to find a trade suitor if that's really what they want to do. Because I don't know too many people that's going to want that type of contract for an aging. Uh, and looks like he's getting a little bit out of shape too. Slower point guard on top of that. And uh, a report from a from uh, a writer from Yahoo Sports, Vincent Goodwill, has described the situation as unsalvageable. Uh, this is a direct quote from that uh, article. Chris doesn't respect James' standing in the league, and James doesn't respect the work that Chris has put in at the at this point. Um, of course, uh, Daryl Morey, excuse me, the GM in, in, in Houston is denying all these allegations. He's calling these rumors. Um, of course, I, I believe Chris Paul has spoken out against this stuff, too. I don't really hear anything from James Harden, so that might tell you something right there, too. Uh, as far as this, this situation is concerned, uh, outside of the beef that these guys have, in my personal opinion, beyond the beef that they might have, I just don't think they really work together. And they don't really mesh together. Their styles just don't work. Uh, I, I think that's really what the, the biggest thing here. Uh, James Harden plays a lot of hero ball. He plays a lot of isolation. Uh, Chris Paul will do some of that, but he again, that's because he's a point guard. He's going to be setting a lot of people up. That's his whole point. Uh, there's also uh, a uh, well there's also an issue here where Chris Paul will want to take over the second team uh, last season there'll be times we'll be taking over the second team and he'll be doing a pretty decent job uh, just trying to maintain those guys and, and, and uh, James Harden will want to interject himself so again there's definitely um, I believe some some type of some kind some type of conflict between the two uh, but I don't think there's any way that they can really work this out other than really just getting along with each other being some being two mature grown men talking about their problems, hashing things out, and trying to move from there. Because again, I don't really think it's really easy. It's going to be easy for them to move uh, Chris Paul. It's possible. It's not impossible. But I just don't see who would want to deal with that contract, especially at his age. Um, they might be able to trade James Harden, but why would you want to do that? That's your that's your piece. That's what you. Uh, that's the that's the player y'all originally went out went out after when he was a free agent in order to put you guys where you are now in the first place so uh very difficult uh sledding here i don't know um really what to say here and here's another uh takeaway here paul's injury related absences this is another quote here from the article uh paul's injury related absences and grading personality have also annoyed harden uh and this is from an anonymous source uh but again I can get, I can see that. I can see his personality. A lot of players in the league don't like Chris Paul. Uh, the injury-related absences. Again, we all have injuries. I'm, you know, but that's. But when you have beef with somebody, when you have issues with somebody, I can get it. You know, any little thing that that person does, you just don't like. You don't care for. It. You don't. You don't care. Uh, the two guards also went two months without speaking. So uh, again. First things first, they're going to have to talk to each other. Uh, if they want to salvage anything, if they really want to work together. Because I, I truly, just because of the way that those two guys play, I, I, they might not win together, but they're, they're I don't really see them winning anything on their own. So uh, any any monocule for success, success for them at this point, I think they would have to do their best to stick together. Because I don't see Chris Paul at this point in his career, I don't see him... Uh, really taking it to the next level and I don't really see him going to a team where he could really elevate them and expect to get something out of them and as far as James Harden goes he's, he's to the point now where there's things that he can't change in his game as well so uh I would say they're jokers to the left of me uh clouds to the right however the song goes but they stuck in the middle with each other pretty much and um that's just the way it's going to be if they want to have any success because I think for them, this is their best situation. Uh, nobody nobody on the Clippers uh, or the Hornets was was uh, was to James Harden's caliber and, and to uh, Chris Paul's defense. Um, you know, James James Harden is not going to have a, a, as good as a teammate 
at this point than Chris Paul. So they gotta they gotta make it work somehow, some way. Uh so for now I'm gonna take another quick break and when I come back we'll be talking some baseball. Uh we have one a quick story to talk about. Uh a former player, former well eventually a Hall of Famer, David Ortiz. Uh he he was in a situation last week. We're gonna update you guys on him. And then like I said uh, like like we always do, we'll be going over over the scores from today and then we'll also be going over the standings as well. All right, y'all I will be right back all right y'all i am back and like i said i got some baseball news to go over i'm going to start off with a serious bit of news here but it is positive it is on the positive side uh david ortiz former first baseman and designated hitter for the boston red sox and also the minnesota twins has been upgraded to good condition while recovering in boston from a shooting on june 9th he was in his uh, country of origin the dominican republic where he wasn't a victim well he was a victim of a potential assassination attempt uh, it was carried out by Alberto Miguel Rodriguez uh, Mota, at least that's what the who placed the hit. Uh, and it was carried out uh, for about seven thousand eight hundred bucks, uh, equivalent to forty thousand pesos. Now, why this hit was carried out, I'm not exactly too sure. Apparently, this guy is affiliated. Uh, at least the Mota character is affiliated with some drug cartel, or he is the drug kingpin, apparently, or something like that. And apparently, David Ortiz uh, might have been with his girl. Or like that but that is all allegedly again i am not 100 percent sure but he was david ortiz was shot and there's a bunch of stuff going on in dominican republic right now so you know take that with what you what you will uh but like i said uh david ortiz uh played originally for the uh the minnesota twins between 1997 and 2002 uh he would get his big claim to fame with the boston red sox playing from 2003 uh to 2016 when he retired for so all together for about 20 years uh he was a 10-time all-star also a three-time world series champ also a seven-time silver slugger award winner so a very distinguished player uh bait uh, and really a fan favor throughout the east coast and particularly boston anybody who knows baseball uh really admires the guy i remember uh a baseball cap commercial back in the days a few years back this white guy uh put on a david or well, basically a boston red Sox cap and everybody goes to japan and everybody's big poppy big poppy so big poppy's world renowned uh for his baseball uh they call him world big poppy david ortiz um really world renowned cat on the baseball level uh Big prayers up to him. Uh, as far as his career went, he had a really solid career outside of the championships. He had a 286 batting average, also 2,472 hits. He also hit for 541 home runs and also 1,768 RBIs. Um, Really a good player, Hall of Fame player, player if he hasn't uh, made it yet. Uh, keep him in your prayers, uh, baseball fan or not. Uh, he's one of my favorite players over the last, well, since I've been watching uh, baseball for the last 10 or so years. So uh, keep keep him in your prayers. Uh, send positive thoughts to him, especially if you are a baseball fan. Uh, but pull through, uh, David David Ortiz. I am, I'm definitely praying for you. Uh, we do have some scores to go over from yesterday. Uh, we're going to start off in the... Yeah, we're going to start off in the AL, uh, actually an inner squad, uh, inner league uh, matchup here. Uh, the Reds were able to get a minor upset here against the Astros. 3-2 to two is the final score here. For the Reds, they got a bunch of help from their left fielder, Jesse Winkler. He had three hits. Uh, he also had an RBI walk-off single to win the game. Uh, the right fielder, Yasiel Puig, did, did pretty well as uh did, he, did pretty well too excuse me he had two hits he also had an rbi as well and their pitcher taylor malley got the win he went for seven innings uh gave up uh, four hits but only two earned runs he also struck seven cats out so that was a good game from him as far as the astros uh they had a pretty decent game from their left fielder michael brantley he hit uh, he was able to get three hits and they also drove in two runs uh next up we have an all al east matchup the yankees got a big one against the rays 12 to 1 is a final score here but the yankees they were led by their catcher Gary Sanchez. He had a three-run home run. Uh, he batted in four runs in total. Also, their shortstop Glaber Torres hit a grand slam. And their pitcher CeCe Sabathia, uh, Vallejo's own, uh, he got the win yesterday. He went for six innings, gave up three hits, but only gave up one run. He also had seven strikeouts as well. For the Rays, their left fielder Tommy Pham, uh, he came up. Uh, he came up for them. Uh, he was able to get them the one run. He also had two hits as well. Uh, next up, we have a NL matchup. NL East to be exact. Uh, to be exact, uh, the Nationals beat the Phillies two, uh, six to two. Uh, they had a double shot since they had a, ra a game that was rained out. I believe either this week or last week uh but the nationals were able to 
to win that doubleheader as well. 2-0 to zero is the final score in the second game for them. Uh, moving on, we have an AL matchup, American League matchup. The A's were able to get it done against the Orioles, 8-3. to three. The Padres got it done against the Brewers, 8-7. to seven. Uh, The Mariners beat the Royals, 8-2. to two. Uh, The Tigers got it done in some, uh, actually the Pirates get it done in some more interleague matchups here, beating the Tigers, 8-7. to seven. Uh, We got the Nationals, uh, actually the Mets, excuse me, taking a loss to the Braves, 2 to seven. Uh, we have a crosstown rivalry this time in Chicago. The Cubs got it done against the White uh, the White Sox seven to three in the North Side South Side matchup. Uh, this one is a really good baseball rivalry for those who might not know so much about this. Uh, they've been going at it for at least a hundred years, if I'm not mistaken, and they do fight. Those those guys do fight. This rivalry gets lit. Um, Moving on, uh, we have some more AL action. The Indians got it done against the Rangers, 10-4. The White Sox got a win against the Twins, 9-4. The Cardinals get it done in some NL matchup, uh, in an NL matchup against the Marlins, 2-1 is the final score there. We also got an all in a west matchup with the rockies beating the diamondbacks six to four for the rockies they had a good game from their second baseman ryan mcmahon who had three hits also three rbis their first baseman daniel murphy also hit a home run and drove in two other runs as well and the pitcher john gray gets the win he had six he went for six innings he did give up he did give up six hits but he only gave up one earned run he also had four strikeouts as well and for the diamondbacks their left fielder david peralta had two hits and an rbi uh, we also got the Angels beating the Blue Jays 11-6. And finally, the Dodgers got a win, an easy win against the Giants 9-2. Uh, let's finish everything off with the standings. We're going to start off in the AL East, as we always do. Uh, the Yankees are on top of the AL East. 46-27 is their current record. They are 7-3 in their last 10. The Rays are behind them, 3.5 games back at 43-31. They are 3-7 in the last 10. Uh, next up in the third place spot, we have the Red Sox at 41. At 35, they are currently six and a half games back, and they are seven three seven and three in their last ten. And rounding up the rear, we have the Jays and the Orioles. The Jays are at 26 and 48, and the Orioles at 21 and 53. They pretty much have eliminated themselves from any playoff uh, competition. Uh, moving on to the Central, we have the, the Twins. They are still on top, 48 and 25 is their current record. They are six and four in their last ten. Up next, we have the Indians in the two spot, 39 and 34, nine games back, seven and three in their last 10. Next, we have the Chicago White Sox here, still below 500, 35 and 37, 12 and a half games back. They've gone six and four in the last 10. And rounding up the bottom here, we have the Tigers and the Royals, who are both at this point eliminated from any type of playoff talk. The Tigers here are 26 and 44, and the Royals are 25 and 49. And uh, we're at the AL West, and of course, the Astros are still on top, 48 and 27 is their record. They've gone four and six in the last 10. In the two spots, we had the Rangers here at 39 and 35, eight and a half games back, five and five in our last 10. In third place, we have the A's. They are 39 and 36, just nine games back, seven and three in the last 10. And at the fourth place spot, we have the Angels here, 10 games back, 38 and 37, seven and three in their last 10. And at the bottom here, we have the Mariners slowly inching themselves out of playoff contention. They are 32 and 46. Now we are in the, the NL. We're going to start off in the National League East, uh, starting with the Braves, they are the first. They are the first up here, uh, number one spot. 40, 44 and thirty-one is their record. They are eight and two in their last ten. Uh, they basically took over this spot sometime last week, so we'll see how long they can keep it. Uh, the Phillies have gone down. They are in the second place spot, thirty-nine and thirty-four. Four games back, they've gone three and seven in their last ten. They've been struggling as of late. They've been struggling up in the past week or so. So that's what's led to the Braves uh, pretty much coming up and taking that spot from them. Uh, the, the Nationals, they are third place 35 and 38 eight games back seven and five in their last 10 and at the bottom we have the Mets here at 35 and 39 they are eight and five uh, eight and a half games back four and six in their last 10 and the Mons of course here you can stick a fork in them I'm pretty much going to call them done here 26 and 46 is their current record uh, moving on to the central uh, we have the Cubs here on top 40 and 33 is their record they've gone four and six in their last 10 including the win last night against their crosstown rival uh, we have the two uh, we have at the second place spot we have the brewers 40 and 34 they are just a half game back four and six in their last 10 as well we have the cardinals here at 38 and 35 two games back seven and three in their last 10 uh we also have uh the reds here uh 
five and a half games back, 34 and 38. They are six and four in the last 10. And we had the Pirates here in the last place, um, the fifth place spot, 33 and, 33 and 40, seven games back, and three and seven in the last 10. Uh, going on to the NL West, we have the Dodgers here with the best record in baseball, 50 and 25 is their current record. They've gone six and four in the last 10, and they're looking pretty damn good. They're looking like one of the teams, they look like they should maintain this this um, this pace throughout the season. Why they, they can't? We I don't I I wouldn't know why. The biggest question for them has always been what can they do in the playoffs. That's that's the Dodgers' Achilles' heel. We don't care about what they do in the, the, the regular season. We already know they're a good regular season team. It's time to see them win something. So at this point, yes, I give them a, uh, the pat on the back for being the first place team. Of course, this far into the season, I'll give them that. I'll give them all the props for that. Uh, but they're still gonna have to win something when it comes to the playoffs. Uh, moving on to the second place spot, we have the Rockies here at 39 and 34, 10 games back. They're also 6 and 4 in their last 10. We have the Diamondbacks here at 38 and 37, 12 games back, 5 and 5 in their last 10. We also have the Padres here with the same record, 38 and 37, 12 games back, 5 and 5 in their last 10 as well. And uh, rounding up the rear, we have the Giants here at 31 and 41. Uh, again, you can pretty much put a fork in them. They are done as well. All right, y'all, I'm going to take one last quick break. And, of course, without f much further ado, we have that artist profile for you guys. Sade Adu. I've been waiting for this. I've been working on this for a while. I hope you guys enjoy it, and I will be right back. All right, y'all, I'm back. I'm going to wrap this up for today. And, um, of course, I'll be doing an artist profile. And, of course, this artist, this particular singer, doesn't need so much of an introduction. We already know who she is. She's world-renowned, one of the most sultry voices in the game that's ever been in the game, in my opinion. And without further ado, this is Sade. Now, I'm not going to get into where she was born and all the backstory. I don't know her like that, so it ain't my, at least on that level, I don't know her like that. All I can say is I listen to her music, a good majority, well, almost all her music, basically all the albums. Um, I'm going to speak on what I know, her music how that music made me feel i'm gonna give you guys a little bit i'm gonna give you guys a little bit of background on on that type of stuff so let's get into it uh shot day will get her start musically in 1982 uh of course uh well for those of you who do not know she will join a band called pride uh now before that she worked as a fashion designer also worked part-time as a model and also at a dry cleaning service uh now she would and just anything to kind of get by and this would lead to kind of her inspiration this would lead to really some of her this would be her a majority of her motivation uh in order to basically to, in order to make it uh again she, uh eventually she would form a band basically named after uh well she would form a band called Sade and for those of you who do not who do not know that is uh, Sade comes from her uh her full name uh, I can't pronounce it right now but just know that her band name comes from her actual birth name. And I thought that was really cool to find that out as well. Uh, she would form this band uh, with a couple of different guys uh, from the Pride, the former Pride band as well. Uh, Paul Anthony, Paul Denman, and also Stuart Matthewman, uh, all accomplished uh, musicians that she had known for years. Uh, eventually, they would sign a deal with Epic Records, and their first uh, release, their first major release was Diamond Life in 1984. Now, mind you, I'm 28, so I didn't I didn't listen to anything that came out in 1984, uh, but definitely this album would drop her, you know, some of her classics. You would hear uh, Smooth Operator, Your Love is King, and also Hang On to Your Love. Now, for me, uh, my first experience with Sade, um, can't, uh, I think I just heard her on the radio one day, and I, I remember the exact song it was. I just can't remember uh, exactly when it was, uh, but I do know, remember the first uh, my first ever memory of, uh, memory of Sade was Smooth Operator. And that song, um, you know, that song was, was uh, for me, it was a it was a really different experience at that point in time i've listened i had listened to a lot of hip-hop i had listened to rock music country music uh but I, and i listened to some jazz as well um and i didn't I, at that time in my young life i really was not a fan of jazz i thought jazz was for old people i thought jazz was boring uh so on and so forth it just wasn't for me 
uh, but the way she put those sounds together, she uh, she was the first person with her sound, with her music, to make me even listen to genres like jazz. Just her just her presentation with it, just the way that this, the sounds blended together. Uh, personally, for me, it was it was one of the, my favorite songs as soon as I listened to it. The, the drums, the music, the just the way it was put together, her voice, what she was saying in the song at the time. I think, yeah, this was had this was first grade for me. This is the first time I remember it because there was three girls that I was crushing on or not necessarily crushing on. They was crushing on me, vice versa. But, you know, I was a little young, little puppy dog love. And I remember this song used to come on the radio. I used to think about all three of them being a Mac and just I, I so I remember how this song used to reach me. This song, uh, that was my first ever example of Sade and I always liked it. It was a song that I would just dance and just shake my head to in the back, you know, the back of the car when I hear on the radio. Always something that kept my head moving, always something that I wanted to sing the words to. Uh I thought it was one of the beautiful songs uh that I had ever had come across. And I hadn't even seen Sade as a woman, but I already knew in my mind of just the way she sounds, the way her music sounds, she has to be a beautiful woman. So I was, I was, I was captivated by her. That song, like I'm listening to the song, like yeah, whoever this is, she's beautiful. I already knew she was beautiful. But uh, uh, moving on, we have Your Love Is King, another song that I thought was really cool as well. Uh, this song I liked a lot more when I got older, just because of you know just the concept and just what it was about, and uh, you know, and you could sense, you know, um, you can sense. You know, music is, is really cool and arts are really cool because, again, they use these things to imitate life. Not necessarily to imitate life, but to ex describe life in another matter, in another way. And you could tell, you know, her experience. You could feel her experiences through her songs. And even as a, as a boy, you can kind of feel what she's going through. She's really in love with whoever she's talking about. Whoever she's, whoever she's referring to is making her feel really good about herself. And even as a kid, I respected that. Even as a young man, I could, uh, and I'm barely, you know, pushing, you know, middle school. And I'm really like, oh, okay, well, she, whoever it is, she really, he really got her in love. She's really, and you can feel that. You respect that. You enjoy those type of things. You know, that was, that was one of the, when I first got into contact with Sade's music, that's one thing that uh, I definitely uh, adhered to and I, and, I, and, I, and I liked about her music. You can feel where she's coming from. You can feel her emotion. Uh, she emotes perfect energy, in my opinion, uh, just uh, especially when it comes to love and those feelings. You can feel that in the music. You can feel that in just the, the instrumentation. You can feel that in her voice. You can feel that in the inflections. Uh, you can even feel that in her little ad lib that she puts in the songs. You can feel all that. So, uh, again, I again, even starting with Smooth Operator, you can kind of, you, you, got, you got the vibe from it. Uh, again, it was a song that made me dance and, and made me want to bob my head. Same thing with Your Love is King. Just a really, really good song. Uh, you can actually feel that passion there and you can that's one thing I could say about Sade throughout anything she had put out you can feel her passion you can feel her her feelings you know that she's been through these things and um, for a guy like me who's been through some of the similar things it's just like oh you're, you're preaching to the choir so there was always that connection that I had with her uh, but in terms of this album here this album uh, this album put her on the map this album would reach number two in the UK and will uh, go on to sell over a million copies in the UK as well uh, in the US this album would go would sell like hotcakes selling over four million copies that means it was four times platinum it was also the best-selling debut album of the 80s and also the best-selling debut by a british female artist until 2008 y'all 2008 so sade uh even right from the jump she was making uh, history. Uh, Smooth Operator would also win two MTV Music Awards, one for Best Female Video and other for Best New Artist in 1985. Uh, Diamond Life would also win the Brit Award for Album of the Year. Another uh, another notable track that I thought was really cool, uh, I wanted to just put a little bit of background on this one, was When Am I Going to Make a Living? Um, and I thought the song was really cool because I found out, well, eventually I, I listened to the song, of course, uh, I Definitely understand again uh, her her experiences her feelings is all on the line here and um, you kind of get it because when you actually hear the story behind the song uh, she wrote this song while she was working at the dry cleaning place and she actually wrote it on the back of a dry cleaning ticket she wrote the lyrics to the song on the back of a dry cleaning ticket that's how much she was uh, really just trying to make it and trying to make something of herself I know exactly about that because when I first started my podcast I, you know I didn't 
you know, I really wasn't prepared. I hadn't really thought about, you know, any ideas about how I was going to do it, uh, how I was going to do anything. And, and I, I didn't have any paper. So one day I, I, I had to look through my room and I just found an old notebook that was already, it was already down to like 20 something pages. And I had to write there. I just started there. So I know, you know, having to use whatever resources you have, whatever, uh, resources you, you have around you to make something happen. And, um, I definitely, you know, like that story. I definitely get it. You know, she's putting herself out there and she said, I got to do anything I can do. You know, so she wrote some lyrics on the back of a dry cleaning ticket. And that those lyrics just happened to be on an album that set up her whole career that got her that sold millions of copies, got her, uh, 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 you know, all these different types of fame. So you, it's that's amazing. That is amazing. Sade would also be uh pretty much responsible for ushering in the neo soul movement as well with this album as well but um moving on she would she would she would drop her second album promise uh in 1985 uh some top singles from here that i'm pretty sure y'all know about the sweetest taboo uh one of my favorite songs uh is it a crime uh another another deep one right there and never as good as the first time i like the never i like never as good as the first time it's really uh it's sophisticated sounding uh it's like a, it's like a, you can dance to that one as well it's a it's a good beat too and you can ride with it um again shot day something to, her voice is good but her producers were on point uh whoever was making the, the beats for her who you know however you want to call it uh was just on point all three of these songs right here the sweetest taboo uh again she she encompasses feelings. Uh, Sade did one of the best jobs of encompassing fe uh, feelings that I've ever heard in a song. Uh, every song that she she made, it, she makes it like she's singing directly, personally for you. And I know she's not. I know she's never seen me in her life. Uh, but again, I feel like she's singing directly towards me, and I love it. The album itself peaked at number one in the UK and on the Billboard charts. Actually, number two on the Billboard charts, the Billboard 200 to be exact. It will go on uh, to multi. It will go on to multi-platinum status, selling 500 copies worldwide, and also won a, won a, a Grammy for Best New Artist in 1986. So again, at this point, by her second album. Uh, Sade was royal renowned, of course, she was, um, you know, mainstream, all that, uh, but still her music uh, um, had not really, had not taken a dip, in my opinion, not at all. Uh, next up, we have the next album, Stronger is Pride. I thought this was a little bit more subdued than the other two, uh, not as deep, but again, uh, the feelings were still there. The emotions were still there. It just wasn't, um, it just, it, it wasn't, I'm not saying it wasn't good. It, I'm not saying it wasn't good. It just had a little different song. It had a different sound to it, a little bit more somber. Uh, but again, a, a really good album. Uh, she had a, a, a few good, a few good tracks in here. Uh, Love is Stronger Than Pride. Um, a really a good uh, self-reflective, self kind of uh, reflective song. A song that you could sit back, chill to, uh, get some ideas i mean especially if you're going through something with a relationship or whatever i always thought it was one of those songs that you can kind of sit back listen to and again she speaks to she speaks to relationships i'm telling you I, she must have been through some real i don't know her you know her her personal life because that ain't my spot my place but uh you can tell just through her music um that she's been through a lot of different stuff here and nothing can come between us uh it's a really big popular song here um this one was uh sampled a lot as well so this one is a big uh pop one this one's a big crossover hit in my opinion right here uh, i've heard this song sampled by a couple different rappers um a uh, really 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 good these really good song here uh one of the one of my favorite songs from this album here uh the album itself will peak at number two on the billboard top 200 and also number three on the top uh rap and hip-hop uh hip-hop uh hip-hop and r&b albums of that year uh it also went platinum in the, in the u.s france canada and also her country of origin the uk so again uh worldwide world renowned um that's what her music was, and uh, that's what she and that's what she brought to the table. Um, we're uh, her, the, the another one of her bigger albums. Uh, I call this part of the the trifecta. The first three uh, were epic, amazing. The, the her newer albums are not bad at all by any means, but this right here, these were the the, the, the songs. 
in this period right here, these were all the iconic songs that came from Side Day. Uh, and this album right here uh, was no different. Um, this one had the, the immaculate, the greatest, in my opinion, Side Day song, the most epic love song uh, by anybody I've ever heard in uh, my life. Uh, no Ordinary Love. And uh, let me go in on this song for a little bit. Uh, this song uh, touches my core. This song touches uh, my soul, even as a child, from a young, from a young man, from a child, all the way until, like I said, till now as a man. Uh, this song has uh, touched every nerve in my body. I I get the song. Uh, this is a song that I've uh, listened to on many nights and I've gravitated to. Uh, it has an all-encompassing sound. It surrounds you. It envelops you. You cannot escape. You understand exactly where she's coming from because you've been there. You, uh, especially if you've been there in this situation. If you, do, if she, oh man, I've been there. I could see myself. I saw my. I could see myself now. You know, saying the words to the song to myself, trying to get through whatever I'm getting through. That song right there is probably one of the ultimate. You know, just love songs. You know, uh, despite what you're going and you're, you're trying to hold on to something, you're getting over something, you're going through that those 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 tribulations. That's all riled, riled up in those songs. You know, because um, there's that there's 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 times where you're crying and you keep crying and you're you're just falling more and more. You're deeper. You're deeper in the situation. And she, I, I again, who I don't know who all the producers were. I don't know who all them peoples was. I don't know. I mean, I know pretty much she wrote, you know, the majority of her lyrics, but how that worked all together, how that works itself out together is beautiful music. That is the most intense, passionate love song I've ever heard in my life. Um, that is the that is that is the epitome of any love song. That is that is the love song done right. Um there's there's so much I can say about that song, but let's move on a little bit. She has a few more uh, singles from that from that album there. Feel no pain, kiss of life. I'm pretty sure you guys know about that. Really lighthearted song right there. Really good uh, good uh, samples there as well. Good jazz ensemble there. We also got Cheers today as well. Uh, this album peaked at number ten in the UK and also number three in the US on the Billboard charts. It's, uh, it's this album will eventually be certified four times platinum it also chart uh top the charts in belgium italy the netherlands new zealand portugal spain sweden and also switzerland okay uh, a couple more songs that she had to hear that are really cool that I think you guys should check out uh, if you haven't. I Couldn't Love You More is a really good one in Bulletproof Soul. That one there is also a deep track as well in the vein of No Ordinary Love. It's not as deep and it's not as epic, uh, but it has that same type of uh, revealing, soul, soul revealing type of passion and um it, it'll it'll get you to feel some type of way. Uh, now, eventually, um, the fame and all that would eventually get to Sade, uh, and eventually her band, her and her band, would split uh, for a while, about four to seven years, something like that. Uh, now, the media had rumored her to be, you know, depressed or going through mental issues. Also, she could they were saying that she was addicted to drugs as well. I again, I wasn't necessarily you know, cognizant of what was going on with anybody at this time, celebrities and all this at this time in my life. Uh, so I could not verify or confirm any of that. Uh, she also gave her birth to her first child at that time as well. Uh, members of the band would also go on to work on solo projects. Uh, one of the members, Stuart Matthew, would also go on to discover Maxwell. Uh, so for all of you who know him, for all of you guys who know him, uh, he would also go on to produce his first two albums. So you have uh, a member of the Sade band, not necessarily Sade herself, but a member of her band, of her of her tree of influence. Uh, we have a member of her tree of influence that's uh, that's starting, you know, another career here. That started Maxwell. So we have Maxwell. To th we have Sade. We can think Sade indirectly for the discovery of Maxwell. Um, there would eventually be a reunion. Uh, eventually, the band would get back together in 1999, and they would release the uh, one of my uh, favorite albums, uh, uh, Lovers Rock, in 2000. Now, uh, Lovers Rock uh, put out two big singles. Um, they're really good ones on top of that. King of Sorrow, which is a really good track if you haven't checked that one out. Uh, of course, I'm pretty sure a lot of you guys know about By Your Side. Uh, By Your Side uh, is one of my favorite. Uh, outside of No Ordinary Love, but I, I would have to say my second favorite Sade song. Um, definitely 
not on the epic scale, uh, but still the feelings are there. Uh, you can feel love that the love there in that song, the love that she's trying to promote in that song. Uh, good feelings, good vibes in that song. I take nothing away from that song or the album in general. Uh, but the album peaked at number eighteen in the UK, also number three uh, in the Billboard in America. It will go on to sell almost four million copies. It was a Grammy Award uh, Award winner for best vocal pop album. Um, it was actually the 14th best selling album of 2001 as well. A couple other uh, tracks that I liked here were Somebody Already Broke My Heart and also Lovers Rock, the title track. Uh, Somebody Already Broke My Heart, you pretty much already get it. That's Sade right there, uh, basically giving it to you real uh, raw emotion as usual. Uh, I think the sounds and the music there, uh, again, this these albums... Uh, they change the sounds. Uh, the sounds in the last her last couple albums definitely changed. Uh, from her albums in the eighties and the nineties, uh, they were a little bit more key, low key, a little bit more pop in how they sounded. They weren't so much jazzy. They're not so much jazzy, but again, uh, they still hit uh, nonetheless. And finally, her final album, of course, uh, was uh, Soldier of Love. Now, Soldier of Love, we already know about this one. Uh, this one got us back after Sade was gone for a little while. This one got us back into her, definitely. We definitely had that, that track, Soldier of Love. We loved that one. Uh, this album will peak at number four in Britain, uh, but this will be her first number one album that would hit the Billboard 200 in the U.S. after all these years. It would also sell 502 copies in its first week in the U.S. It was a Grammy Award winner for Best R&B Performance by a duo or group, and the song Baby Father was also nominated for Best Pop Performance as well. And and the album eventually went on to sell over two million copies worldwide. Again, um, this has been a, a, I mean, as far as I know, Sade has had probably one of the fullest careers out there. Matter of fact, she's still going. She recently made a, a couple new uh, tracks. Uh, one of those tracks went on the soundtrack for the Wrinkle in Time uh, movie. So she's still active. She's still definitely, um, she's not as uh, active as she was in terms of touring and all that. Uh, she doesn't really grant press interviews, so you don't really know too much about what's going on with her. Uh, but again, she's still active. And whatever, I mean, regardless of what she's doing now, um, Y'all can say what you want. I'm pretty sure a lot of y'all going to agree with me. But her music is going to stand the test of time. If you ever know about love, if you ever been in love, if you ever wanted to be, know what love was about, if you... Uh, if you ever love somebody, if you, you know, ever wanted to love somebody, not to say just be in love and all that, if you want to, you know, relationships, you already know. Sade was pretty much your go-to. That was your advice right there. Don't play. Don't play. We all done had a couple cold, crying nights listening to some Sade. We also had some good couple days, too, listening to some Sade as well. Sade, one of the most immaculate, one of the best voices I ever heard. And truly, truly, one of the treasures here in our music. So I'm going to take a, I'm going to call it a, a, a wrap for today. Uh, my next episode, I will be, of course, going on the war on the street. Uh, we have some uh, some NBA news to talk about. We have some tra uh, player moves, some trades to be talked about. Michael Conley has made his way uh, to Utah. So we're going to talk a little bit about that as well, y'all. And um, eventually, I want to, at this point, uh, I actually do want to get into some more baseball talk. We will be talking about some of the best players in the league uh, right now. We're going over some stats and all that, some of the best teams. Uh, we're going to be going over stats. No, no records so much. No scores, but we will be going over stats and rankings and stuff like that. So, uh, for now, I'm going to call it a wrap. Uh, yeah, peace out. One love. I'll holler at y'all later. All right, now.